0: For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at wearecitywalkca. Morning, City Walk. Yesterday, if you uh, were watching our social media at all, uh, you saw that uh, our teenagers actually went and spent uh, the day yesterday uh, hanging out in the snow and they had a great time yesterday. They, uh, my daughter went, and, and they a lot of pictures, and it seemed like they had a really good time together. Right now, as, as you saw, our kids are headed over, and they're going to hang out together. They're going to connect together. Uh, they're going to have a good time, and, and you know this. Whether you're a parent or not, you know that, man, You try to put your kids in a place, if you're a parent, grandparent, uncle, aunt, you try to put your kids in a place where they can build good relationships. And so yesterday, like I said, our our students were uh, playing in the snow and, you know, just an event for them to hang out, have a great time, but hopefully build good relationships. Our our kids right now are over in City Kids and they're going to have a great time. Again, another opportunity, hopefully, that, that God will use to help them build some good friendships and all of us, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're a single adult, no matter where you are, kind of on the, on the scale with your faith, every single one of us know this. Friendships are powerful and they're very influential. In fact, probably as you look back on your life, no matter what age you are, some of the best decisions you ever made and some of the worst decisions you ever made were because of the influence of your friends. Think back. As you think back, for some of you, you think back at the story that you tell, that you're so thankful you made it out of, and you look back and think, that was my buddy, man. He, he influenced me. But then also some of your best decisions. When, when I was a teenager, my best friend uh, was named Brian Wilson. He wasn't with the Beach Boys, uh, but Brian and I, we worked at Cash and Carry. And that is the incredibly cool shirt that we have on right there. In case you were wondering, you can't buy that shirt. It was the uniform for Cash and Carry. Uh, but we, we were best friends growing up. And man, he influenced me. I influenced him. And we influenced each other to make good decisions. But every now and then, we influenced each other to make not good decisions. And I can remember one night, and this is one of those nights, and you probably have some of these in your life. That you look back and think, if this night would have went a little differently, I would probably be being visited right now from behind bars, and it, it just wouldn't be good. Uh, well, well, that night I was driving my mom and dad's car. I had another friend of mine. I think I was home from like spring break from college. I had another friend of mine that was with me that I went to college with, and and we were at Brian's house, and we decided, hey, we're gonna go. I don't even remember where we're going. We're gonna go to eat, but we had to drive separately. And so Brian's neighborhood, it was called Deerbrook, and it was a neighborhood that, man, it was a pretty big neighborhood, a lot of different roads, a lot of turns. And so, of course, stupid, and I feel terrible saying this because my kids are in the room, so they're going to hear me say this. Uh, but I, we, we started driving, and we decided, let's see who can get out of the neighborhood first. And so, you know, you start going down roads and, you know, No kids got killed in the mix or anything, but but we start driving through, and and we get to the end of his neighborhood, and we're going out onto like the main road, and it's Lund Road, and and we're right there. We're like neck and neck. He's coming from this side. I'm coming from this side, and I had a really stupid attack at that moment and decided, I'm going to win, and so I didn't look at the we're, We're coming to this road out of the neighborhood. I didn't look at all. And I just gassed it and went out onto the main road and started driving. And for one second, I felt good about myself because I won until very quickly I noticed a car behind me with their brights on and they were actually going into the ditch, driving into the ditch next to me because I had pulled out in front of them and forced them to go into a ditch that's not even there anymore. If it happened today, they would all be dead but they went into the ditch and they drove through the ditch and I immediately felt like terrible, I mean like awful. And so this guy, whoever's behind me in the ditch, he gets out of the ditch and gets behind me and he turns his brights on. And at that moment, you have a decision to make. Like he obviously wants me to stop and I obviously know if I stop, this could be the end of my life and I will actually deserve it. And so because I felt like I deserved it, and because the friend I had home from college had a scholarship to play at Penn State as a linebacker, I felt like I was okay, and so I stopped. And this guy came up beside the car, he knocked on the window, and he didn't even cuss. I mean, he should have, probably. But he got out, and it was this dad with little kids in the car and was that was so upset because I had put his kids in... And I, I almost like, sir, please just punch me, please just start beating on me. I felt it was one of those times you felt like you needed to be beat up. Like I deserve to get beat up right now. And it was one of those moments that as I look back, I think, man, you, you, as you have relationships and you have friendships, man, some of the things you look back on, you think, man, that was a great decision. And man, my friend influenced me to do great things. But then other times your friends influence you to do things that maybe aren't as good. And that was one of those moments for me. Well, this guy that we have been talking about We've been talking over the last few weeks about this guy named David. This guy, David, was a guy who understood the power of friendships in a very real and unique way. If you remember the story of David, even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably have heard that, man, David was this shepherd boy kind of working in his daddy's sheep farm, kind of taking care of the flocks. He gets called and, and he gets on an assignment. He goes to see his brothers. He ends up his brothers are soldiers, so he goes to see his brothers. His brothers are afraid of this giant named Goliath, just like the whole army is. And David goes, kills the, the giant named Goliath. And, and that's, you know, you've heard that story of David. Well, after David kills Goliath, Saul, the king, says to his, the commander of his army, like, hey, Abner, find out a little bit more about this kid. Like this kid, you know, the one that just killed Goliath. I mean, who is, I mean, I know a little bit about him, but man, find out about this kid. And, and so he goes and he finds out a little bit more and comes to, to King Saul and says, hey, Saul, he's the son of Jesse. He's got a couple brothers in the army. And, and as all this is happening, I mean, King David, or at that point, just David, he, he doesn't, man, he's just been taking care of his daddy's sheep. And now his whole life has changed. It's like he found a lottery ticket and it was worth millions of dollars. And he went from being little shepherd boy to, man, Stuff starting to change. And so Saul says, hey, I want to talk to this kid. And so he, he brings David in. And again, just this teenage kid that just killed Goliath. And he begins to talk with David, begins to build a relationship with David. And in the midst of all this happening, the most unlikely of friendships begins to take place between Saul's son named Jonathan and David. And it's one of those friendships that, honestly, for for some of us, we've never even experienced a friendship like this. I mean, a friendship that is as close as this one, a friendship that we'll learn that's just amazing. Some of us have never even experienced a friend like this. And, And these two guys that shouldn't be friends become friends. And and they are unlikely friends, but they start to become friends. And, And it brings me to a question that I want to start today with, and it's this question, real simple. What can I do to be a better friend? As we look at this story of Jonathan, Saul's son, And David, this this kid that just killed Goliath, and and man, he's kind of new on the scene, and, and they begin to build a relationship and a friendship that's amazing. Sometimes we read a story like that and we think, oh, that's great. That's really cool. But what I want us to think about is, what can I do to be a better friend? And as we look at this relationship between Jonathan and David, the the thought comes to my mind, okay, if God shows me something that will help me be a better friend, am I willing to lean into it? See, let's read it in Samuel uh, chapter 18, and, and we'll see Samuel begins to tell us about this friendship. It says this, when David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan, who now, who Saul's oldest son, uh. Jonathan's probably uh, quite a bit older than David. He's—we already know that Jonathan is somebody that commands a third of the army. He's a pretty important guy. It says Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship, and he loved him as much as he loved himself. It's interesting. Verse two, Saul kept David with him from, the day, from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. And so basically Saul says, hey, you've just killed Goliath. You're starting to get popular. I'm not really sure about you. So he basically says, I'm going to keep this kid close to me because I want to keep an eye on this kid. And then it says this in verse three, Jonathan made a covenant or a binding promise with David because he loved him as much as as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan, who was, like I said, several years older than David. Jonathan, who was Saul's first son. So, hey, if you're the first son of the king, guess what you're supposed to be? The king. Jonathan, as as a young man, he realizes that David is The king that God wants. He understands that David was God's choice. And so here's what he he does. He takes off his robe. He takes off his sword. He takes off all the things that he's wearing that the prince should wear, that the the person that's going to be king should wear. And he, as he's building this relationship with David, he gives them to David knowing this is God's man to be king. And, and, And as you think about that, You see this phrase that you you saw this phrase twice in that first few verses that Jonathan loved David as much as he loved himself. I want you to think about this. I want you to put yourself in, in Jonathan's position. You're in charge of a third of the army. You're King Saul's firstborn son. So you're in line. Everybody's looking at you like this is yeah, this is the new king. But you know that, hey, God has another plan. That God's man to be king is a guy named David. And, and so you, unlike your dad Saul, you 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 realize this and you make clear to David, man, I, I support you. And here's the, the thing. Think how hard this would be. David was about to get Jonathan's position. He was about to get Jonathan's power. He, he was about to get his home, his fortune, his opportunities, all of Jonathan's, the things that should have come to Jonathan were going to go to David, and Jonathan knew this. But, but even though Jonathan knew this, his example teaches us that when I embrace God's plan for my life, I can celebrate the plan God has for others, Because Jonathan embraced, hey, this is my lane. This is what God has for me. This is my future. I'm going to embrace what God has for me. And so I'm going to be able to then celebrate with my friend David, even though he's going to take everything that everyone thinks I deserve. Think about that. I mean, I don't know about you. maybe, Maybe I'm the only one, but have you ever... Like, realize how much of a jerk inside you are when your friend has something really cool happen to him. And you smile on the outside, but on the inside, you're jealous. On the inside, you're having a conversation with yourself, like, well, if I had what, yeah, I could do that. Well, yeah, if I had it as easy as them, I'd be able to do that. And on the outside, man, you're smiling, oh, I'm so happy for you. But on the inside, you're like, what? Why, why them? Man, if I had what they had, I would have killed that. Man, I, I would have been better than them. And, and you're happy with, for them on the outside, but on the inside, you're jealous. And, and Jonathan, he, what happened was he, he understood what he, where his lane was. He understood what God's plan for his life was. And so he was able to embrace God's plan for his life so that he could then celebrate honestly celebrate, not just on the outside, celebrate God's plan for David. But here's what complicated this whole thing. See, Saul didn't have the same attitude. In in verse 5, it says this. It kind of continues on in the story. It says, David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Basically, David has killed Goliath, him and Jonathan have started to become friends. Saul realizes, I don't really know who this kid is. I don't know a lot about him. I mean, he's barely, barely a man. I mean, he's just like 19, 20 years old now. But I, I do notice that when he is involved in something, it seems to go well. So he kind of gives him some more assignments, puts him in charge of the army and everything this kid touches turns to gold. And so Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. As the troops were coming back when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, and with three-stringed instruments. Basically, man, when, when the the sons and the husbands would come home from war, there would be a party in the streets. And that's what was happening. Like the arch enemy of Israel was the Philistines. David had led the army out to just demolish them. And so now all the boys are coming home. And so the women are out in the streets and they're singing and dancing and it's a party in the streets. But they were singing a certain song. And here's what it says. It says, As they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul was furious, to say it nicely, and resented the song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. Basically, Saul knew David was everything he wasn't. Saul knew David had all the things that he didn't have, and though he saw it and he understood it, it bugged him. See, so David would go out and man, it, he would just, everything he touched turned to gold. He would win every battle. And now he, all these people are starting to notice that this little kid that was a shepherd just a few years ago, he's now a rock star in the nation and everybody is starting to make a big deal of him. And so Saul, man, he's getting jealous. And it says this in verse Saul, or verse 12, Saul was afraid of David. Because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. That's a, that's a scary verse right there. The Lord was with David, but had left Saul. See, Saul was in a tough spot. He was in a tough spot because the people loved David. God obviously was on David's side on some level. But for Saul, he, he needed David to go away. But but he couldn't kill him himself because, I mean, th- this kid is like a national hero, and it seems like God's on his side too. So, man, how am I going to get rid of this kid? And so here's what Saul decides. He says, you know what? I'm going to use what David has. I'm going to use it against him. I'm going to use David's courage. I'm going to use his faithfulness. I'm going to use his hard work. I'm going to use it against him. So, so that's what Saul did. He said, all right whatever I tell David to do, he's going to do. So I'm going to put him in places on the battlefield that he's going to die at. Like he's going to go fight. He's going to be courageous, but I'm going to put him in the toughest battles so that he, he's going to die. And so he did. He, he put David in, in the tough battles. He gave him the tough assignments on the battlefield. And all David did was win every time. It's like, stink, man, I'm trying to kill this kid, but he keeps winning. And so Saul, man, he's He's at kind of his wits end. Now he's, he's done everything he can. And every assignment he gives this kid, he just he does great at. And he wins. And But he's still alive. And Saul's more jealous. And the people love David more. It's like this terrible, terrible situation for Saul. And so desperate. Here's what Saul does. He goes, let me go talk to my son. My son Jonathan. Maybe, maybe Jonathan can help me with this. So 1 Samuel chapter 19 It says this, verse 1, Saul ordered his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David. But Saul's son Jonathan liked David very much. I mean, David was his close friend. Instead of obeying his father, which would have honestly benefited Jonathan in the long run, because David's the guy that's going to take everything that could and should have been Jonathan's, Instead of doing what his daddy says, Jonathan loved David enough to tell him the truth. And so it says, "So he, it says, but Saul's son Jonathan liked David very much. So he told him, my father, Saul, intends to kill you. Be on guard in the morning and hide in a secret place and stay there. I'll go out, stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I'll talk to him. When I see what he says, I'll tell you. So basically, Jonathan comes to David, like, dude, I got some really bad news for you. Like my dad, he, he's trying to, he wants you to be killed. He's like scheming to kill you. And Jonathan, I mean, think about, again, put yourself in Jonathan's place, whether you're watching online or you're, you're here this morning, put yourself in his place. Like, this is your dad, like, you love your dad. You think the best of your dad. You want the best. You want to believe the best about your dad, but but then your your best friend, man, it's, your dad wants to kill your best friend, but down deep in your heart, you're thinking, my dad can't mean that. So he says to David, hey, hide, kind of lay low. I'm going to go talk to my dad a little bit. I don't think, I mean, I don't think he really wants to kill you. He's probably just spouting off at the mouth. Let me just go talk to him. And so he does. He goes, dad, what's up? Like, why are you trying to kill David? Like, what's going on, man? Dad, tell, tell me what's going on. Dad, you, you realize that David benefits you. Like, everything David does, he wins, and it helps you. Remember the whole Goliath thing? and So Saul kind of comes to his senses a little bit. And verse 6 says, Saul listened to Jonathan's advice and swore an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. So from Jonathan's perspective, dad's happy, David's safe, all is well, we can all breathe easy, this whole thing's blown over, okay, we're good. But then war broke out again. And unfortunately for the Philistines, Saul sent David to fight the Philistines and he did what he always does and he like took them out. So again, he he David, he's out there fighting, doing exactly what Saul tells him. He wins the battle. But, but then because he wins the battle for Saul, now Saul's jealous again. And so after the battle's over, David comes into Saul. And another thing David's good at, he's good at playing music. So he's done fighting. He's just won the battle for Saul. And he's in there kind of playing the harp to kind of calm Saul down. And before you know it, Saul, while he's playing the harp, while he's trying to just serve Saul, Saul gets upset, and he throws a spear at David, and literally the scripture says he tries to pin him to the wall. So think about this. You, you've just fought this battle for this guy, Saul. You've won. You've. I mean, Saul's looking great. Now you come in because Saul is, man, he's struggling emotionally, and so he likes music to be played, and so you're just in there now. You, you take your like, fighter hat off, and you put your musician hat on, and you're playing music for the guy, and while you're playing music, all of a sudden, you, you see like something coming at you, and it's Saul's spear. He's trying to kill you. And so David, man, he's confused, and obviously he's pretty anxious, so he flees, and he goes to find Jonathan. And 1 Samuel 20, it says this, David fled from Naoth to Ramah and came to Jonathan and asked, dude, what have I done? What did I do wrong, dude? Have I sinned against your dad? Like, why is your dad trying to kill me? I don't get it. And Jonathan says this in verse two, Jonathan said to him, no, dude, you, you must have seen this thing wrong. Are, my dad's not. Remember, I just told you, I just had the conversation with dad. Everything's good. What, what do you mean? So Jonathan says, no, you, you won't die. Listen, my father doesn't do anything great or small without telling me. So why would he hide this matter from me? This can't be true. Like if my dad's trying to kill you, he's going to let me know. He hasn't talked to me. So you're good. But, but then he goes on, but David said, dude, your father certainly knows that I have found favor with you. He has said, Jonathan must not know of this or else he would be grieved. David also swore, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, there is but a step between me and death. David says, hey, your dad knows that we're friends. He's not going to tell you that he wants to kill me because he knows that would hurt you. But dude, I'm telling you, I'm about to get killed. Your dad's coming after me. And so Jonathan says this to David. He says, dude, what do you want me to do? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I don't know that I believe you. I don't really think my dad wants to kill you. But what you're saying, you're obviously pretty upset and you think that it is true that my dad's trying to kill you, so what do you want me to do? And so David says this. He says, okay, here's what we got to do, man. I got to figure this thing out. He says, tomorrow, there's a festival. There's a festival called the New Moon Festival, and it's a a festival, and there's meals, and and usually at this festival, the kind of the leaders of the country would sit with Saul at his table. And so I've been invited. David says, I've been invited to sit with your dad at his table. And so I'm, I'm going to hide out. I'm not going to go to the festival and you're going to be at that table with your dad. And I, I want to find out what your dad says and how he reacts with me not being there. And, and if he is good with it and he doesn't get upset, I'll know that I'm safe. But if he blows a gasket and and he he gets upset because I'm not there, then I'll know I've got to get out of here. I'm going to have to be a refuge. I'm out. So Jonathan's like, okay, that that sounds sounds like a good plan. And, And so basically what happens on day one of the festival, David's seat is not filled and Saul looks at it and he thinks, well, David's, maybe he's unclean because of battle. So he's hasn't went through the cleansing process or, you know, the ceremonies you're supposed to, so that's probably why he's not here. But day two comes, and David and John, or Jonathan and Saul, it comes up that David's not there. And so sitting at the table on the second day, it's becomes obvious that David's not there, and he's probably not going to be coming. And so Jonathan and Saul begin to talk and very quickly Saul's intentions become clear. It says this in verse 30, it says, then Saul became angry with Jonathan. He shouted, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, like he's insulting Jonathan's mom, like he's so upset. Don't I know that you are siding with Jesse's son to your own shame and to the disgrace of your mother? Every day Jesse's son lives on earth you and your kingship are not secure. Now send for him and bring him back he must die. So what do you really mean Saul? Like what's what's what are you really feeling there? He makes it pretty clear and then it says this verse 32. Jonathan answered his father back, "Why is he to be killed? What has he done?" Then Saul threw his spear at Jonathan to kill him. So he knew that his father was determined to kill David. So now not only is Saul trying to kill David, but he was so enraged because David wasn't there that he tried to kill his own son, Jonathan. And so just, again, try to put yourself in Jonathan's shoes. Your dad who you love dearly, who you want the best for, who you want to believe the best about, has just tried to kill you and now your best friend and you 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 know what this all means your your best friend is hiding out and and you wanted to believe that this thing was all going to work out but it's become really obvious in the last few seconds that this thing's not going to work out your your family is a mess your kingdom is gone and for, for Jonathan at that point, it would have been very easy to just side, with, just side with his dad and just, oh, dad, it's okay, calm down, and to kind of let David go, because his case, it's all over for him anyway. But Jonathan does the very hard thing, and instead of siding with his dad and trying to work things out with his dad, he knows his life is never going to be good. He knows there's always going to be issues with his dad, but he goes to his best friend David. He finds David as he's hiding out and he finds him to deliver the news and basically to say goodbye forever because he knows this is it for David. It says this, when the servant had gone, basically David's hiding and and Jonathan comes with his servants and all his servants kind of go away. So it's now just David and Jonathan. It says, David got up from the south side of the stone easel. Fell face down to the ground and paid homage three times. Then he and Jonathan kissed each other and wept with each other, though David wept more. Because here's what David knows David is saying goodbye to everything. He's saying goodbye to his wife, who's Jonathan's sister, because he's about to have to go and hide. He's saying goodbye to his job. He's no longer going to be the commander of the army. He's saying goodbye to his comfort. He's saying goodbye to his best friend. He's saying goodbye to his own family. He knows from now on until Saul is no longer in the picture, he's going to be fleeing and running. He's going to be a re- in a refuge. I mean, it's all over for David. David knows that he's been promised to be king, but he doesn't know when. And it's really fuzzy probably right now in his mind. Like, what is? how's this all going to work out? And so for David, his heart is broken because this is the end. And all David had done was be faithful. All David had done was work hard and be brave and courageous. And now he was going to be on the run for years. It says this in verse 42, Jonathan then said to David, Go in the assurance the two of us pledged in the name of the Lord when we said, the Lord will be a witness between you and me, between my kids and your kids. Basically, what they did is they promised, no matter what, David, you'll always take care of my descendants, and no matter what happens, I'll always take care of your descendants. I'll always watch over your family, and you'll always watch over mine. And they they had made that vow to each other. And then it says this, Then David left, and Jonathan went into the city. Here's what we know. David and Jonathan would see each other one more time in their life briefly. But in this moment, this was the end for them. Other than just briefly seeing each other, this was it. And and here's what's really cool. After David would not become king for almost 15 years, he, he would flee from Saul, and there's a lot to that story. But after this whole thing's over, after Saul is dead, after Jonathan is dead, years after this moment, David does what he said he would do, and he goes and he takes care of Jonathan's family. Long after Jonathan's gone. And as we, we kind of process this story of these two men and their friendship, we can respond in a couple ways. We can respond with apathy. Basically, okay, that's cute, great kind of the so what attitude. Okay, good. I'm glad they're good friends. I'm glad they were faithful. I'm glad they they told each other the truth, even though it was hard. I'm glad that they stuck with each other, even when it was hard. I'm glad that what they said they would do, they did. Even 20 years later, they were faithful. But okay, it's almost lunchtime. Finish up, Chris. It's time to go. we can respond with apathy, kind of the so what, big deal. Or you can respond as you process this story of these two guys with transparency. And here's what I mean, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, you can open up a little bit and think about that question I asked a little bit earlier. What can I do to be a better friend? And and if you respond with transparency, here's, here's what I know. You'll probably look inside and you'll figure out, you know what? I'm not always a great friend. Sometimes I struggle with jealousy. Sometimes I'm selfish. Very few times in my life do I look at my friends the way Jonathan did and say, Hey, I love you as much as I love myself. And and if we're honest, there's probably some places even in our closest friendships that we can look into those friendships and realize I'm manipulative. I'm selfish. I, I don't always love the other person the way I should And there's probably some things that God God could point out in our lives. And and maybe it, it just starts with us just asking ourselves that question and just being honest. Like, what can I do to be a better friend? What what can I do to, to be a better friend as I look at Jonathan's life, as I look at David's life, and then as I compare my friendships? How can I be less selfish, be a better friend? How can I love people better? How can I be less selfish? How can I be less manipulative? How can I cheer for other people when things are going good for them and they're not going good for me? What can I do to be a better friend? Because if we just hear this story of Jonathan and David and like, hey, golf clap, good for David and Jonathan. I'm glad they they could work all that out. And what a beautiful story. That's no big deal if if that's all it is for us. But the reason that those stories are put in the Old Testament is the scripture says they're put in there as an example to us. And we look into those stories in the Old Testament. And we say, okay, where is God in this story? And how does God want to help me transform my relationships? And how does God want me to be a better friend? And maybe it just starts. Maybe it just starts by embracing God's plan for our own lives. So we can celebrate his plan in others. Like for some of us, if we're honest, whether you're online or you're here this morning... For some of us, we get so wrapped up in what other people are doing and what's going on in their lane. That it's really hard for us to celebrate because we look at our lane and like, hey, well, I wish I had that or I wish I could do that. Or man, if if that happened in my life and instead of saying, hey, this is the lane that God's given me. This is the lane that he's put me in. These are the tasks that he's given me. These are the relationships he's given me. Let me be faithful with what he's given me so that I can celebrate what he's given you. I can celebrate the great things happening in your life. It's hard for me to celebrate what's happening in your life when I'm not being faithful with what's going on in mine. And so maybe that's where it starts. Whether you're a young adult, whether you're a grandma or grandpa, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, what does it look like to grab hold of what's in front of you and be faithful with it so that you can then celebrate and be wind in the sail of your friends instead of an anchor to hold them back. I think the first thing it is, it just, it just starts with me saying, you know what? I could be a better friend. I don't have this thing together. It's saying, Jesus, I'm going to embrace the gifts you've given me and the lane you've put me in. So that I can celebrate and cheer on my friends. You got some people in your life like that? You got some people in your life that, man, when you're with them, you leave feeling bigger. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But but you got you, you've got two couple types of people in your life just like I do. There's people in my life that when I leave them, I feel smaller, and that's part of that's on me. But then there's other people in, in my life that when you spend time with them, they are so encouraging, so refreshing. That you leave and you feel encouraged, refreshed, and and you feel bigger instead of smaller. And I hope that you will be that for other people, as I hope I am for other people too. Let's pray. Lord, we understand the power of friendships. And Lord, we, we can look back through our life and we can see how great friends have influenced us to do things that are great. But we can also look and see that our friends have influenced us to maybe make some bad decisions. And Lord, I pray for each of us here, whether we're watching online or we're here this morning, that as we really think about these two guys, David and Jonathan, that we would, instead of having an apathetic attitude and, hey, let me get out of here as fast as I can and And man, I've got this together. Maybe we would have a transparent attitude. Maybe we would ask ourselves that question and really listen to the answer from you. What can I do to be a better friend? As we close up our time this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're someone who's a follower of Jesus and you are to ask yourselves that honest question, The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you shouldn't have to look far for the answer. When you ask yourself that question, that honest question, what can I do to be a better friend? Probably something very quickly comes to mind. And my question for you this morning is, are you going to lean into that? And do something with it? Or are you going to avoid it and get out from under it as quick as you can? What can I do to be a better friend? Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to ask that question, to listen to what you say, and then to lean in to the answer. And God, I pray that we would be better friends that reflect you in our friendships. In Jesus' name, amen.